uh, stop playing church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless our message today. Lord, as we go through and as we look at these passages and the situation that Israel found himself as we preach through the book of Amos. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father, to as we apply this to our lives and see where we are in these situations. I pray that you help us, Lord, to repent where repentance needs to be done. And I pray that you would help us to yield ourselves to you 100%. Pray that you bless us now today. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. In Amos chapter 5 and 6, we see a couple of uh, oracles given here. Uh, it reminded me, whenever we were looking at these verses, uh, whenever I was a child, we spent a lot of time in the church. My dad was a pastor, and uh, so we spent a lot of time in the church building. Uh, we would often find ourselves waiting for him to finish work so that we could go home at the end of the day. And one of, the, one of the most natural things in the world for children that find themselves in this situation is to play church. Uh, we would uh, do, do that very thing, the three of us, myself, my sister Amy, and uh, my brother Mike. And I was the song leader, and Amy was the piano player, and Mike was the preacher. And, uh, you know, we would have a good time playing church and pretending. But, you know, the truth is many Christians today, unfortunately, can be accused of doing just that, just playing church. Their heart is not in it. It's not real to them. They just go through the motions like children copying that which they see. And this is what Israel has been accused of in these verses. Last week we talked about being prepared to meet our God. We were talking mostly about the Christian and the judgment seat of Christ. We saw in Amos 4, four ways that we can do better and do right to better, be better prepared to meet our God. Now chapter 5 and 6, Amos begins... In chapter 5 with a lamentation, a, a mourning oracle from God. And then he goes into a series of two different woe oracles against the Israel. Remember, an oracle is a speech that is from God. And giving, God gives the words to the prophet and the prophet speaks the words of God. They're not written typically, although these are written down by Amos. Uh, but the oracle is given in, in a speech to Israel. So first, let's look at the number one, the lamentation over what is sought by Israel. He begins in verse number one. He says, Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, a mourning, O house of Israel. And this is a lamentation from God himself to Israel. And he says in verse number two, The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. Israel is described as a young virgin. The emphasis is that she is helpless. There's none that can help her. She's beyond help at this point, he says. He continues in verse number 3, and he says, Thus saith the Lord God, The city that went out by a thousand shall leave an hundred, and that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. He's telling them the judgment day is coming. The Lord is coming. He says, the army that has a thousand, that's a thousand strong shall go to battle a thousand strong, but will come out only a hundred left. The armies that go forth and a hundred will only have ten coming back. Roman armies had a disciplinary procedure called decimation. We use the word decimate to describe a destruction. The procedure for this disciplinary procedure was called for when a group of soldiers 
or uh, a, not just one, one was dealt with, but when a group of soldiers in one battalion or uh, one group committed a capital crime, the group would be divided into ten groups. Lots would be cast, and the group that drew the short straw were killed by the other nine groups. What God is talking about here is far more than a decimation. Not just one-tenth of the army is killed, but nine-tenths of the army will be killed. The declaration of judgment is given, and now God calls them to repent. In verse number four, he says, first of all, number one, or letter A, seek God, he calls calls to them. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, seek ye me, and ye shall live. Seek ye me, and ye shall live. He's calling out to them and telling them what they need to do in order to not have this judgment come upon them. Seek me and you'll live. But history tells us that they're not listening. Seek God. Now understand something. Israel is still worshiping God while this is happening. They're going to the places of worship. They're making sacrifices. They're singing songs of praise and worship. But God is telling them two things here. You need to seek me, first of all, number one, you got to do it my way. You have to do it my way. And God has a right to say that. He says in verse number five, But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Now understand something. His holy temple is in Jerusalem. That is where they worship. Not the places of worship that Jeroboam set up, intermixing false gods of worship with the one true God of Jehovah. God says, you have to seek me the way that I want to be sought. Not how you're comfortable. Not how you like it but how I tell you to do it. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness and found themselves without water, God created a miracle. And God told Moses to strike the rock and water came gushing out, and they were full. When they came to another point where they had no water, God told Moses, take your rod with you, but this time speak to the rock and water will gush out again. Moses came to the rock in front of the people, but he lost his temper. And he began to chastise them and said, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch the water out of this rock? Wait a minute. Who fetched the water out of the rock? God did, not Moses. But Moses lost his temper. And the Bible says Moses lifted up his hand, and with a rod he smote the rock twice. I could just imagine Moses hits the rock and nothing happens. He goes, oh, I must have hit it in the wrong spot, and hits it again. Water does come out. God still provides water for the people of Israel, but Moses did wrong. Moses didn't do it God's way. And there was an important part of this, why God wanted him to speak to him. What Moses didn't know but should have trusted God and obeyed was, The rock was a symbol of Christ. Christ would only be struck once. From then on, we only need to speak to the rock and get the water flowing. 
And because of this, God tells him that he will not bring this congregation, that Moses himself will not bring this congregation into the land which I have given you. He's not going to be able to go into the promised land. That's severe. But God wants us to obey him and do it his way. He has a right to require that. He's God. He has every right to demand that. In the 90s, a church was started in the Chicago area. And the, they sent out postcards and contacted the community around them and asked them questions like, if you could build a church, what kind of songs would you want? What kind of sermons should be preached? And they built a big church. It, they had great attendance, but there were, it was a shallow religion. Lives were not truly changed. They were more concerned about what they wanted in their church rather than what God wanted in His church. And it was a shallow religion. We need to seek the Lord, but we need to do it His way. Because Israel was not doing it God's way, he told them, judgment is coming. Verse number 7, he says, Ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. He calls them once again to seek him and gives him his resume in verses 8 and 9. And he, he says, uh, this is why he has a claim to require them to do it his way. Verse, six, verse 8, excuse me, he says, Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He says, I'm the one that made the stars and set them in order. The seven stars, Pleiades and Orion, I place them where they, I want them to be. I am the one who turns the darkest of night into morning. I'm the one that makes day into night. I'm the one who pulls the condensation from the sea and causes it to rain upon the face of the earth. In case you don't know who I am talking about, the Lord is His name, He says. Verse 9, He says, "...that strengtheneth the spoil against the strong, so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress." He said, he is, the cause, the, he is the one that causes that which is being plundered to turn against the strong. The weak one who is losing, the one who is being plundered, he's the one that gives them the strength to be able to turn the tide of the war and go against the strong. He says, who maketh the weaker to, become, to be able to go against the fortress itself. Listen to what I have done. See who I am. And seek me, but do it my way. And then number two, he tells them, seek me, seek God, and listen to rebuke. Listen to what he says in verse number 10. He says, they hate him that rebuke in the gate. They abhor him that speaketh uprightly. These spoiled, rich, obstinate people will not hear the men that God has sent to them to rebuke their behavior. They stand in the gate and proclaim the truth, but they refuse to hear it. They abhor, they hate him that speaketh uprightly. Boy, is that not true of our country today. 
They hate the truth and the truth speaker. It has even crept into our churches. People that will stand and say, the Bible says this. We need to stand for this. They cast them out of their churches because, no, we want to be seeker-friendly. God is a God of love. You're right, He is. But He's also a God of justice and judgment and truth and righteousness. We need to listen to the rebuke and repent before it's too late. Verse number 11, he says, For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor. This is the big part of what judge, why judgment is coming to Israel. Because they're treading upon the poor. They're stomping them into the ground. And he says, And you have take from him burdens of wheat. Take their food. You take from the poor and stomp all over them. He says, You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You've built fancy houses, but you're not going to live there. He says, you planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine of them. These beautiful vineyards that you see, and they're groomed, and they're ready, and they're growing, but you're not going to enjoy their fruits. Verse number 12, he says, for I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just... They take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. And this could be said of many of our politicians today. Taking bribes, not listening to the need of the needy, needs of the needy and the poor. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, the prudent shall keep silent in that day, for it is an evil time. The result... The prudent, the wise, those who see the truth, they just keep silent. It's no fun to speak out when everyone around you is evil. Oh, our nation needs to seek God today. You know, I don't want to be pessimistic. But I've almost given up hope on a good man becoming president. A good man gets destroyed before they even get a chance. If they can't find any dirt, they dig it up and, write up, write, and make it up as they go. And yet the wicked flourish, and when truth comes out about these wicked men, they brush it under a rug. Oh, that's no big deal. God's not going to stand by forever. Judgment will come to our country just as it has come to so many before us. It's going to start here in our church and in the churches that are like it. We need to repent. We need to seek God with all of our hearts. we got to do it His way. We need to listen to the rebuke. We need to seek Him. Not only does he say we need to seek good God, but he says we need to, number letter B, seek good. Seek good. If God's people do not want to see judgment come, if they do not want to see destruction, they need to seek God, but they also need to seek good. He says in verse number 14, Seek good and not evil that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you. 
as you have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious upon the remnant of Joseph. He says, don't look for evil. Seek out the good in people. That doesn't mean to look for the good and ignore the evil. It means to exemplify the good. Lift them up so others can see them. Don't lift up the evil. Hate evil and love the good. What's the result? Life, not judgment. Judgment and justice will prevail in the gates once again if we just seek to do right. Listen to rebuke. Listen to the Holy Spirit of God when He convicts you about something. That still small voice in your, in your heart. When He tells you, don't do this, listen and obey. And God says we invite justice and judgment when we do. God says, I'll be gracious to Israel, but they will not do it. So the Lord says in verse 16 and 17, Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord saith thus, Wailing shall be in all the streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, and they shall say, and they shall call the husband to mo- husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing, and in all vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. God's lamentation is spoken throughout Israel, but they don't hear it. I wonder if America will hear before it's too late. He starts with his lamentation over what is sought. Then number two, he goes into now in verse 18 to a woe oracle over their false security. They're holding on to a false security. Verse 18 begins the woe oracle from God. Woe is a phrase that is used in Israel at funerals. People would proclaim woe as the funeral dirge passes. It's a word of mourning. You might even hear today, woe is me. In the Bible, it was usually directed at someone else. Woe is you. The prophet is invoking funeral language over the nation. He's saying you're going to die if you do not change your lives and change your hearts. He's declaring a woe over them because they have a false sense of security, especially concerning their worship. They think everything is fine. They're still worshiping God after all. Many shall say in that day. Remember that verse? But things are not fine. And Amos is telling them that God is pronouncing the funeral language already over them. He tells them three things in this section, this passage. Letter A, don't rest in your standing. Don't rest in your standing. He says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand upon the wall and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. These people obviously thought they were doing okay and wished for the day of the Lord to come. All throughout Scripture, it's prophesied of the day of the Lord. It's what sparks the rapture of the church, the Bible tells us. And it begins a seven-year tribulation. He's telling them, you don't want this day to come. 
To what end is it for you? The result is not going to be what you think it's going to be. He says the day of the Lord is darkness, not light. A couple of pictures of someone uh, fleeing one, uh, one danger and thinking he's safe just to be killed by when he's comfortable. He says uh, it's as if one runs from a lion, but a bear meets him in the way and kills him. Or someone who runs into his house and makes it into his house and leans his hand upon the wall and, whew, he's safe, but a serpent bites him and he dies. He says, this is not a good thing for you. God's judgment is coming and you're not safe, he's telling Israel. It could be said of much of America today, too. Don't pray for God to come back soon if you're not ready to stand before him. Amen? Secondly, he says, not only don't stand, rest in your standing, but secondly, don't rest in your religion. Your religion will not save you. Verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise. Boy, what strong language there, amen? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. Boy, incredibly strong language. I hate, I despise your feast days. These were the worship of God. These were in the obedience to God. But what they were doing and how they were doing it was not righteousness. He says, don't come to worship thinking everything's all right because it's not. He says, I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Don't send your incense my way. He talks about the prayers of the saints being like an incense to God. He says, I don't, wanna, I don't even want to smell that because it's not real. Don't send me burnt offerings and meat offerings. I'm not going to accept, accept it. The peace offerings, even the most choice ones, I don't care. I won't even look at it. It's not the act. It's the heart behind the act that God wants. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. He will not hear it. It does no good for you to come to church and offer your offerings and sing your songs if you're not seeking God His way to begin with. Stop playing church and be the church. Stop getting your security in the fact that you sat in a pew. There's no security there. Sitting in a church makes you no more a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you an automobile. It does no good. No judgment is going to come. The Bible says justice and judgment will run down like water. Righteousness and justice will run like a mighty river. Verse 25, he continues as, Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of Moloch and Shion your images, the star of your God which ye made to yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. He says, you offered sacrifices to me in the wilderness for 40 years, and yet you turned to idols even then. 
Moloch, the word means king. It speaks of the idol being their lord. You sacrificed to me, and yet you carried with them with, them with you in the, uh, 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 the, the tabernacle, uh, the home of your idol. You carried it with you. And the word kion is, uh, it means a pillar. The, it's a place where an idol would sit. He says, you're carrying this with you, meanwhile making sacrifices to me. The star of your God is, is made, uh, which you made to yourselves, a, a star most likely a symbol that made, they made to represent their God, their false God. He said, you made preparations to serve false gods even while you made sacrifices to me. Cannot serve two masters. Your religion will not save you. It will not make up for the other wrong you do in your life. It's not a balanced scale. You either serve God and trust Him with your whole heart or you don't have it at all. Verse 27 says, Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. He says, Captivity is coming. The army is coming and they're going to take you captive. Then he proclaims his next woe. And I put this all under the woe for their false security because I believe we can see some false securities that they're seeing here. Letter C, don't rest in your might. Don't rest in your standing. Don't rest in your religion. And don't rest in your might. Verse 1 of the next chapter says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel come. Pass ye unto Kalna and see, and from thence go to Hamath and the great. Then go to Gath of the Philistines. Be ye better than these kingdoms, or their border greater than your border? He says, don't trust in your walls in Zion. Don't be at ease here. Don't trust in the mountains in Samaria to protect you. Remember the other countries who fell before you, before the Lord? Kalna, Hamath, Gath of the Philistines. But God brought them down because of their wickedness, he says. Are you better than these kingdoms? Verse 3, he says, Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near. You push off into the future, at least in your minds, the day of the Lord's judgment, and yet you bring violence all around you. Makes me think of the people that don't, I don't want to hear that negativity. Don't preach on hell. That's uncomfortable. Don't preach on judgment. That just scares people away, Pastor. Preach on good things, God's love. Preach on heaven. Don't push away the evil day. We need to hear it. We need to realize it's coming. And they trust in their mighty standing, their military successes, but God is telling them, don't rest in that. Don't be at ease. By the way, it wasn't them that brought the victory. It was God all along. And yet they're setting him aside to worship other gods. And then he says in letter D, don't rest in your wealth. Verse 4, he says, they that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon the couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and calves out of the midst of the stalls. They're resting in their opulence, their beds of ivory, their fancy couches. They're eating the best meats out of the flock. Verse 5 says that chant to the sound of the viol and invent themselves instruments of music like David. They make up songs with their stringed instruments and think themselves to be like David. 
that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. They're content not with a cup of wine, but want a bowl of wine. It speaks of their excess. They take the best ointments and anoint themselves with it. And yet, they're not concerned about the afflictions of their own people. <coughs> they're only wrapped up into their own wealth and opulence. Verse 7, Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive. The banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. He says, therefore, the judgment is coming. Your wealth is not going to be able to save you. In fact, you're going to be the first to be taken. Verse 8, the Lord God has sworn by himself, saith the Lord the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. God hates their pride and arrogance. He hates their trust in their own wealth, in their own might. So he says, I'm going to deliver the city up to the enemy along with everyone inside. In fact, it will be so bad that they will be afraid to even speak the Lord's name out of fear that he'll do more. Verse 9 and 10 talk about this in a very picturesque way. It says, And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. And a man's uncle shall take him up, and he that burneth him, and uh, to bring out the bones out of the house, and shall say unto him that is by the sides of the house, Is there yet any with thee? And he shall say, No. Then shall he say, Hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord cometh, and he will smite the great house with breaches, and the little houses with clefts. They're finally learning to fear God. They don't even want to mention his name out of fear that they'll anger him because of the destruction and the damage that they see all around. All of this woe pronouncement is caused by Israel's injustice and pride. In verse 12, he uses two proverbs which were commonly used. He says, shall horses run upon, upon the rock or will one plow with, there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. The two proverbs are used to express someone not being willing to labor in vain or spend their strength for nothing. They cannot fight against it, so they won't even try. The, the point of it is, of course this will happen, or yes, this will happen. It is a definite. It has come to them because they have poisoned judgment and righteousness. Verse 13, he says, Yet... Ye, will re, ye which rejoice in a thing of naught, which say, have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? They look back at their victories over the other nations that rejected God, and they gloat in their victory, ignoring the fact that they're doing the same things that the other nations did. Verse 14 says, But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, saith the Lord God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of the wilderness. He says, you will be demolished just like these other cities. Charles Spurgeon said of these verses, So when we look back upon the judgments of God, of God upon guilty men, we may conclude that no sinner has any right to think that he shall escape. The proudest and the mightiest have been brought down by God, and so will men who dare to resist the Most High, continue to be humble even to the world's end. 
What can we learn from these oracles? What can we learn from Israel's mistakes? First thing we can do is we can do what God has called them to do. Seek God and live. Follow him. Don't seek him your way. Say, well, I feel more comfortable with this. Okay, that shouldn't be our question. Because God has called us many times to be afflicted, not comfortable. Well, I prefer this. Fine, wonderful. But what does God want? Don't seek him to do your way. Seek to do it God's way. Learn how he wants to be worshipped and seek him. Number two, don't get a false sense of security. Not in judgment of our enemies, because we may be in danger if we don't actually look to our own goings. We may very well end up doing the same things that the enemies have done. Don't rest in your religion. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. Is your heart in it? Don't rest in your might so you're, uh, you're, you're, you're not strong enough to stand against God and His will. Don't rest in your wealth. You cannot buy your way out of this. Israel's biggest sin was how they treated each other. They allowed justice to become perverted and righteousness to become ignored. Any of us who live in an indulgent lifestyle, and by the way, according to most of the world, we are. Any of us who live in an indulgent lifestyle, neglecting the Lord and the needs of those around us will face judgment of God. Don't get so focused on the things of this world and get pulled away from God's will for your life. Jesus described some of these things in the parable of the soil. In Luke 18, 8, 14, he says, And that which fell among the thorns are they, which when they have heard go forth, and are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. Don't get distracted by the things that this world has to offer you. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. If we love the world and are distracted by our flesh, our eyes, and our very pride, we're not of the Father. We're of the world. We've taken the world's side. We've sought the things the world wants us to see, not the things that God wants us to see. Have you been allowing Satan to distract you by the things of this world? If so, recommit your life to Christ today and seek Him and Him alone. Make Him the priority in your life. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And the second is like unto this. If Israel had just listened, they wouldn't have gotten into trouble. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. God cares how we treat each other. I've seen churches destroyed because of gossip, because of talking bad about each other, treating each other badly, preferring one over another. 
God does not like it when we mistreat our neighbors. But God says, if you just do this, seek me the way I want to be sought and obey me. Seek good. He says, all your needs will be taken care of. You don't need to seek for raiment. You don't need to seek for food. You don't need to seek for shelter. All these things, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. I'll take care of you if you just listen. Will we obey? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for these verses, Lord. And Lord, how much we can learn from the path that Israel went down. And Lord, I, it's scary to see uh, so many similarities between how Israel treated the people around them and treated you and your truth and your men of God compared to how America is treating the truth and the people around them and the men of God that they've called, been called to proclaim to them. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as the people of God, to look inward to ourselves and say, is there anything that I can do that I need to change, anything I need to repent of to make sure my heart is right before I go out and be, shine that light among men? Or am I giving them a reason to go out and say the church is just full of hypocrites? I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father, to do right, to seek you with all of our hearts. Yes, we have to work. We have to do the things that we're called to do, Lord, and work is good. But all should be done to your glory. And all should be done that your kingdom would be advanced. May you be the focus of our entire lives. I pray that you'd help us to learn from Israel. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together and we'll sing a verse of invitation.